This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kathy George, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight and an honour to be here. Well, we're super excited, as always. We love, love, love speaking to authors and our listeners love hearing about the author experience. Cathy was born in South Africa and has since lived in Nambia, New Zealand and Australia. A hopeless romantic, she fell in love with Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier as a teenager and includes Wuthering Heights and Great Expectations among her favourite books. She holds a Master's of Fine Arts in Australian Gothic Literature from Queensland, University of Technology. Wow, that's a very specific degree to have. Cathy's debut, Sagasso, is a mesmerising Gothic novel that echoes the great Gothic stories of love and hate, such as Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre, and of course, Rebecca. So Gothic literature, right? Now, this is your first book, is it? It's not technically my first book. I did self-publish a book 10 years ago, but that doesn't really count. So let's say it is my first book. <laughs> so talk to me about growing up and where your love of reading, I assume uh, you're a uh, love reading, well, we yes. can tell, but your love of reading and writing, because often they come hand in hand, right? So talk to me about where it was that you grew up in South Africa and, and the, how you came to be a writer. I grew up in a mining town called Kimberley. Um, they discovered one of the biggest diamonds there. But when I grew up, there was no television. Uh, We didn't have television in South Africa. So I spent a lot of time reading. And um, my mother used to give me books from her bookshelf, which I think she was a bit worried about because they were probably a bit racy. But (laughs) Rebecca is the one that sticks in my mind because I was at my grandparents' house at the time at the sea, it was a rainy day when I was given it. The wind was battering against the window panes and I was given this gorgeous book to read and I, I've i never forgotten it. And then, of course, I went on to read everything that Daphne du Maurier had ever written. So when you read Rebecca for the first time, roughly how old were you? I think I was about 14 or 15. I can't exactly remember. Yeah. Isn't it funny with with books and reading, and, and I'm the same and obviously you're the same, they not only take you into, you know, somebody else's world and somebody else's family and somebody else's, you know, character, but they also, for you, they are about we. The books that I have read that has have had the profound effect effects on me, like have really been meaningful, um, I have always remembered where I read them. I have remembered why I read them and why I picked them up. Are you the same? Yes, that is interesting. I think something else I should mention is that the character in Rebecca, 
I think I felt a little bit like her. I was shy. I was insecure. I was all those things that she is. And I think that's why my reading of that book was improved, made better, because I felt like I was that girl. It is really, it's, 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 and, and it still continues to this day. Sadly, really sadly, my uncle, who, you know, we loved and adored, um, died a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And a friend of mine, um, thank you. And a friend of mine um, sent me this text and uh, about Gabriel Byrne's memoir. Yes. I said, oh, that's an odd thing to read, to tell me to read while I'm that's feeling this the way. Actor, right? That's the actor. Yes. And do you know, my uncle is, so we're Lebanese background, and he immigrated, you know, and you'll know the immigration experience. He mm. immigrated from Lebanon at the age of 21. And you know, I wondered why he'd recommended this book. And when I was reading it, of course, Gabriel Byrne moved from Dublin to New York. And he talks a lot about displacement, identity, being an immigrant, being an exile, as he calls it. And I thought, isn't that, I will never forget having read that book at that time. Yes. You know, because yes. there's just it so means, much meaning. Yeah, it means a lot. So, so from Rebecca, where did we go from there? I read everything that she had written and then I moved on to, well, at school we had to do Great Expectations. We had to do Wuthering Heights. Oh, I know you asked me um, where my love of writing came from. So I didn't shine at things like maths. My father made me do maths until year 12, which was a big mistake, but I didn't shine at these things. But I seemed to shine at writing. Um, I remember once our English teacher, we had a wonderful English teacher. It's always a wonderful English teacher, you remember. And she set us, um, in those days they called them compositions, to write. And um, she read mine out to the class. And that was such praise. I was blown away. And um, I, I dabbled in writing on and off for ages. And then when I came to Australia, I went to writing classes and I was constantly writing and constantly submitting, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And that's when I decided that I probably needed to go to university. So I went to university really late in life. I was, I won't tell you how old I was. <laughs> and I had an absolute ball. I loved it, loved it. I, I don't think my tutors liked having me in the class because I knew all the <laughs> and the other kids didn't want to, you know what, 19, 18-year-olds are like, they just sat there and looked at him or her and I was always the one who said, I know, I know. <laughs> Tell me, um, what career, so, you know, you must have been doing something else other than oh, I did, yeah. Tell me so about that. I, I should also mention that I went to university straight after school because my father said that's what I should do. And I absolutely flunked everything. I met my husband there, which is the one fantastic thing that happened, a good thing. But I flunked everything. And so at the end of the year, he said, right, you're out. You're either going to be a teacher or a secretary or a nurse. What do you want to do? <laughs> and my mother was a teacher and my aunt was a principal and my whole family was like teaching side. And I said, I don't want to do that, so I'll be a secretary. And I actually was good at being a secretary and I, I worked for lawyers in Namibia um, and it was at the time when um, South Africa and was trying to hang on to Namibia and the terrorists in Namibia were trying to, to get independence 
And my law firm worked for the terrorists. They were the only law firm in town who defended them. And they were being tortured and it was a huge, I was, I, was, I was 22 when we went there and it was a huge, I was just blown away by what was happening. I, was, I learned so much in such a short time. But we left there um, because we didn't see independence coming and we came to Australia and then I worked for lawyers again. But um, Do you think, um, Cathy, that, I mean, everything is formative, I guess. Every experience you have is formative. But really to have been in a country that's so unsettled, you know, yeah. lots of frightening experiences, I I'd imagine, compared to a very privileged life here. Do you think that makes up the person you are as a writer? Um, I don't know. I, when I first came to Australia, that's all I wrote about is what had happened to me in Namibia mm. because um, my husband is an electrical engineer and the power company that he worked for was actually frightened that I was going to try and persuade him to let some terrorists blow up on the... So our phone was uh, taped and things like that. Um, and I had friends who were in jail. But once I got it out of my system, I, I've just put it behind me. The only sort of thing that I have as a hangover is I don't get involved in politics anymore because mm. it's just I've, I've been there, done that, and I don't want to, to do that again, you know. Yeah, no, interesting. Uh, so you worked um, as a secretary for law companies here. Yeah. Did you can't go straight to Brisbane or did you come somewhere? No, we went straight to Melbourne because my husband was offered a job then. We've moved around a bit. We lived in Melbourne for uh, five years, five or seven years. Then we came to Brisbane uh, every time. And then we went back to Melbourne because he was offered a job he couldn't refuse. And then we came back to Brisbane <laughs> And we went to New Zealand for a short time because he had a wonderful job there. But our kids were teenagers then and they didn't cope. So I came back uh, and he commuted for three years. It was a very interesting time. Mm. But so whilst being a secretary and whilst raising a family, you were writing? Were you writing yeah, all along? Yeah, I was writing all the time from when uh, I was pregnant with my first child and then one of my girlfriends gave me a Milton Boone's book and said, read this, you can write one of those. <laughs> so I had a go at doing that for a number of years and then decided I didn't really like the restraints that are put on you when you're writing a Milton Boone Oh, so you wrote for Mills and Boone. You got accepted. I did, I, no, no. I Oh, okay. I wrote four of them, but they were all roundly rejected. Right, yeah, because it's not easy, I think. To... No, and then I started writing just things that I wanted to write and that I was much better at that. Mm. So it's been a long path to publication for you, a really long path. Yeah. And to be quite honest, you know, very few people um, get published at at, say, at the age you are, just to have a debut fiction novel. I, I don't know why that is, actually. I really don't. I mean, just recently in my Pilates class, this this older woman said to me, you know, I'm writing a book. Uh, do you think I'm wasting my time? I said, never, never. Oh, good. So, I'm glad it, you said that. Yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. And I said also, too, it doesn't matter. You may get published and you may not get published, but it's the experience. There's so much to it, isn't there? It's been it's been a real big journey, but it's been absolutely fabulous to be published now because I had almost given up hope mm. of having this particular book 
published? When I, I spoke to an author yesterday, um, a young author, she was actually 28, remarkable, um, and we were talking and she said that she, the first book she wrote, she just knew it wasn't right and she knew why it got rejected. But when she wrote the second book, which is the book that has been, has gone, you know, um, becoming a bestseller, she said she knew it was right. She could feel when she was writing it that it was the right book. Is that how you have been feeling? I think that does happen. I've just found that lately that uh, that has happened to me, that you have a gut feeling when you know what you're writing is good and, and by the same token you know when something you're writing is good, you know, that it's an okay story but it's not going to blow anybody's socks off. I think that comes with experience. So it's interesting that she's only 20 and she knows that already. 28, yeah. So yeah. she, it, it's, I've just looked her up because I'd forgotten her name. Her name's Christina Sweeney Baird. Um, oh. And she's, yeah, she's a really very, very talented young writer living in London. So, and this is a conversation I had with her too. It's all practice, isn't it? You know, you've just got to keep writing. I was listening to your podcast with, uh, I think it was, J.P. Pomera. Yeah, extraordinary and he, was saying, he was saying you wouldn't go and play in, in a tennis tournament if you hadn't ever lifted a racket. So why do you look at writing in a different way? And I absolutely agree. That was why I went to university because I thought there's obviously stuff I've got to, to know, to learn about. And it helped enormously. At the end of my first year at university, I not only had a story accepted, but a short story, but it won first prize. When the guy phoned me, I was in tears. <laughs> I can imagine. Did that story ever grow and become a bigger story? or you left? No, no. It's a no. short story. You can find it online. It was the Help Order Short Story Award. Oh, mm. yeah. I'll definitely look that up. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So tell me about the book that you self-published and the journey to that process. Uh, it, it was about Namibia, uh, which is a country that's very close to my heart. And it, it's about a mum who, who lives in Melbourne and her son and her 
parents who live in South Africa and she goes to, no, I'm not going to tell you what the story's about. <laughs> but, no, I, I wrote it and um, I decided, oh, I think I might have sent it to a couple of publishers here in Australia, but because it was set in 99% in South Africa and Namibia, only a small portion in Melbourne, none of them were interested. Um, and so then I sent it to a publisher in South Africa and they actually took it to acquisitions, but the lady who was doing the deal couldn't persuade the rest of them to to buy it. So in the end, I thought, well, I'm not going to give up on it. I'll self-publish it. And that's what I did. But it was more, and everybody who's read it, they all tell me they love it and they like it. But, you know, I think I sold oh, 70 copies or something. So it was, it was for me, it was very um, satisfying. Mm. And then so you're back at it and tell me where Sargasso came from. So when I was at university, we were in our final year of creative writing course um, and we had this fabulous tutor and we were doing this unit called Novel and Genre. So that's when you go through all the genres, westerns, romance, drama, um, psychological stuff. Um, and we had to read Kate Morton's, I think it's called The Shifting Fog. It's got mm. another name also, The House of Riverton, I think. And our tutor was, <laughs> he was not very complimentary. He said, I'm sorry, guys, we have to read this. <laughs> it wasn't his style of book. You know, it's woman's fiction. And I took him to task a bit because I said, you know, you're supposed to be encouraging us and all writing is beautiful and this book has been selected and now you're poo-pooing it. And um, At the, uh, the assessment we had to do for that unit was to write something, um, the first two chapters, in any genre we wanted and to use a voice we'd never used before. And I thought, well, I'm going to write in this gothic genre <laughs> just to make him annoyed. But also because I had all that background of Rebecca and Wuthering Heights and it was a no-brainer that I was going to choose the Gothic. And I don't know why, but this little girl's voice came to me. I'd never written anything in a child's voice before. That came to me and a vision of her on a beach. And um, I got a high distinction for the assessment and that the next year I thought, I'm going to turn this into a book. So I spent the whole of 2012 writing Sargasso. And then it's like it's 2021 now. So 2012 till now, it's been through. It was selected for the Hachette uh, QWC Manuscript Development Program. I popped it in there and I was absolutely thrilled to be accepted. We went to the workshop and I made all the changes that they suggested, but they didn't want it. So that, like, the whole year passed. So then I worked at it some more and I submitted it to the Queensland Literary Awards and I was shortlisted for the emerging author uh, unpublished manuscript. And you get a mentorship with that. So I got the gorgeous Angela Slatter. Um, and we worked on it some more and I did another version or a 
third or fourth version. And um, then I found an agent while I was doing these versions. Um, one of my friends had this agent and he said, give her a call. And she took it on. And so then we submitted it to a whole range of publishers. Um, and one of the big names said, yes, they liked it, but they wanted me to make some changes. So it went through another rewrite. Um, and then sadly they said, no, we don't like what you've done. <laughs> they wanted, they had wanted me to change the ending and um, I did that and then they didn't like the new ending that I had. So that was very sad. And so then my agent said, I don't think there's anything more we can do, you know. And, um, I was still, I was, we both were, we were hankering to get this book out there. Then I found an agent in America who's absolutely fabulous. I sent her a query letter and within 24 hours she asked to see the whole manuscript, which is very unusual, but I was blessed. Then she said, yes, she'll take it on, but she wanted some changes. <laughs> <laughs> the journey of a writer. But I have to say that everything that she suggested was spot on. I totally agreed with it. And I thought, mm, why didn't we think of this before? So we made another version and she tried to sell it in America, but Trump had just come into power and they were nervous. Um, Gothic fiction is also such a niche market. You know, they, they, said, they said it's beautiful, we love the writing, but it's not for us. So she eventually said, there's nothing for it that I can do. So not last year, but the year before. So 2019, I saw that the Australian Society of Authors and Harlequin had this competition for a commercial manuscript. Now, there's always been, with my book, there's always been like, oh, yes, we're not sure if this is literary or if it's commercial and it's it's a genre, so, you know, that's often not literally so they were always like we don't know where it's going to fit in the market and I thought oh well it's a long shot but I'm just going to chuck it in anyway and you know because my friend always says to me if you don't put in for these things you've got no chance Oh, I think it's it's great advice. And I think that a lot of, you know, I've spoken to a lot of authors and I've seen a lot of success come from entering competitions because one, it's practice and two, it's recognition. Yes. Um, if your name then, pops up, people start yeah. seeing it and then they start taking. Yeah. And it's also when you send your CV to your publisher and you've got there that shortlisted for this, won this award. Yeah. It's fabulous. So I did that and then I sort of forgot about it because I thought, no, you know, they're not going to like it. They're looking for commercial fiction and this is this book is, it is a little bit literary. I have lots of very descriptive passages and sort of dreamy bits and pieces. I thought, no. And then surprise, surprise, I got a phone call just after COVID had set in and everyone was feeling like really glum and miserable. I got a phone call saying you've been shortlisted. I was I remember being crying on the phone. <laughs> Not being able to speak properly, you know. <gasps> yes. <gasps> Thank you. <laughs> and then when I got off the phone I was shrieking and 
blabbing some more, but the bottom line was uh, that I was shortlisted, but I didn't win, but they still wanted it and uh, they said they were going to take it to acquisitions. So that was like another hurdle. And they didn't, at no point did they say, we're going to make huge changes. <laughs> and so they took it to acquisitions and then they phoned me to say yes. They said they'd actually been offered this book right at the beginning. And I remembered this and there was a different person uh, in charge of the, uh, the commissioning editor. It was a different lady. And she said at the time to my agent, we love it, but we're going to ask for big changes. And I said, my agent and I discussed and we said, no, we're not going to, we're tired of doing big changes, <laughs> but we'll walk away from that one. So we didn't go there with it. And so when they got it a second time, they said, we loved it the first time. Now we love it even more. That's fantastic. <laughs> so it was, and they haven't, you know, previously, maybe over the years, those changes that they had wanted had taken place. Yeah. I'd never asked them that. I think I'm too scared to ask them. Tell uh, us a little bit about what the book's about before we go. Ah, oh, so it's, it's, I have a love of architecture. I have a love of the beach. And so it's, I'm going to say it's about a stunning beach house because it, that is a huge part of the story. It's an isolated beach house uh, designed by an architect who is the father of Hannah, the little girl. And they are from Melbourne and they go there to live. Uh, father commutes to Melbourne for work. Uh, Hannah starts school at this small town, imagine, imaginary town. And then she meets this boy called Flint at her house. Um, and he's not quite suitable because his hair is overlong, his feet are filthy, his clothes are a bit shabby. But she loves him and he seems to really like her. He often says to her, you're really strange, but I do like you. But he leads her astray and um, she's always getting into trouble because of him. And so her grandmother says to her eventually, when you play with him, don't let mum and dad know, you know, do it secretly. And so this, and this suits her down to the ground and they have this almost obsessive friendship with each other. He hates it when she goes anywhere, uh, when she leaves Sargasso and goes anywhere. He gets really upset and jealous. And then her father is killed in a freak. Is this a spoiler? No, we can keep going. <laughs> she has to go back to uh, Melbourne, who her grandmother suggests, because the whole the, her mum and her sister and her are absolutely, uh, her dad was a wonderful guy. They're just grief-stricken. So they move back to Melbourne and she leaves Sargasso. And then uh, she comes back 20 years later because she inherits the house and it's had tenants in it all this time. And so she wants to uh, renovate it, brighten it up, and then she's not sure whether she's going to sell it or whether she's going to live there or whether she's going to relet it. So she comes back to the house Beautifully written. And she meets Flint again, so. Mm. Gorgeous okay. story. Gorgeous story. I think we've given away enough. Oh, good. <laughs> Beautifully written. Given Andrew. away too much. Kathy George, I can't thank you for your time and congratulations. Uh, let me just ask you quickly, are you writing another? I, I am writing another. I've had a, um, 
you know, I was talking to you earlier about how sometimes you know when a book is not good. Yeah. So the book I wrote last year, I don't think it's the right book to follow Sargassa, and I'm busy talking to Harlequin about it now. Um, I've said to them I don't think it's the right book and they're reading it. But I've got another book that I started this year that I'm very excited about. It's something different but not too different. It hasn't been, this particular storyline hasn't been written before, so I'm thrilled. I, and I, that's how I feel this book is going to be the next one. So well, we look forward to it. <laughs> good. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank been- you for having me. It's been a thrill. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.